the card on the play. There's a blue card. Welcome to episode two of the How to Play Quidditch podcast. I'm your host, Alejo Enriquez. For those of you tuning in for the first time, uh, I am an avid player, coach, and occasionally terrible referee for the sport of Quidditch. Quidditch is a full-contact co-ed sport played all around the world. There are many different leagues, uh, including the uh, International Quidditch Association, IQA, which governs the play between different countries at the World Cup, which is, in fact, a real thing, and it is awesome. Um, Quidditch is played largely in the United States, but it's taking off internationally in England and Australia. It's getting really big, and uh, in fact, many countries now have Quidditch programs, so no matter where you are in the world, if you're listening to this, there's probably Quidditch within some distance of you. Today I want to talk a little bit about the state of Quidditch as a, as a volunteer entity. Um, and what I mean by that is that major sports like soccer, football, basketball, etc., uh, they, uh, they sell sponsorship and they sign these huge advertising contracts with television stations, and which they can do because there's millions, literally millions of people who want to watch these sports and so the sports are getting money from advertisers to uh, promote their products and, and on the field and off the field and so forth. Um, and Quidditch doesn't really have millions of eyeballs on it necessarily um, as of yet. So there isn't a lot of money from advertisers in Quidditch right now. Basically the only money in Quidditch right now is what the players themselves have in terms of disposable income to, to spend on their own equipment. Uh, players always buy their own uh, food and water, Gatorade, cleats, uh, mouth guard, you know, any, any protective equipment, all of that, and uniforms, league fees, transportation, uh, play, every, all players pretty much pay for all of this themselves, or their parents or someone else pays for it for them. Um, and, you know, these tournaments that are held always, basically always have some kind of team or individual fee to support the, the tournament, the, the fees for the tr for the track they're using or the pitch they're using and so forth. So basically, whereas the average salary of a football player is probably in the hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, the average salary of a Quidditch player based on the sport alone is probably around a negative $1,000 a year. Um, so basically that means that, that all positions at all tournaments are volunteer positions. If you watch a, uh, any pro sport, uh, like for example, if you watch uh, the sideline and uh, football, and there's uh, photographers, videographers, there's guys handling the balls, there's uh, people uh, shuttling them to the referees, there's the referees themselves, uh, they're all getting money to be there. Now, and some of them, most of them, I would probably guess, are, are not being paid full-time for that. They're, they have other jobs, but they're being paid to be there. It's not like that in Quidditch. You, you, you're, you're being paid in the, the tournament running on time or something resembling on time. Quidditch tournaments are notorious for not running on time unless they're run by Beth Peevler. Um, so everything that happens in a Quidditch tournament, uh, all of the volunteer positions, the photographers, timekeepers, scorekeepers, referees, the snitch runner, those are all volunteer. Well, actually, I guess I should correct myself and say that uh, the head referees are usually paid in most leagues now. In USQ and MLQ, they are paid something like, I think, $15 a game for USQ and I think $30 a game for MLQ. Um, and snitch runners are usually paid, but I think you have to be certified first in most leagues. 
Um, but the tournament cannot, the game cannot run on a head ref and a snitch runner alone. The game depends on the other volunteers also doing their job and, and doing them well, or else the game doesn't work. So today I want to talk about volunteering at tournaments, and I want to talk a little bit about refereeing. It's kind of a two-for-one. Um, and in order to talk about that, both the demands on the refs and on the volunteers and how we as players can uh, contribute to make these tournaments uh, run effectively, uh, I am going to be talking today with a very good friend of mine. He is the founder of Tulane Quidditch. He is the current coach of the New Orleans Curse. Uh, last season, he played for Gulf Coast Gumbo, uh, and he currently volunteers as the statistics coordinator for Major League Quidditch. He is Joshua Mansfield. Oh. Okay. Thanks for coming on the show, Josh. I really appreciate it. Yeah, great to be with you. How's it going? Oh, I'm I'm good. I'm good. I um uh, I had some I practiced Quidditch today, and that always feels good. You know how it is. Oh yeah, I'm on my like post MLQ pre USQ off season, uh, and I'm trying to stretch that for as long as possible <laughs> because I these days. There doesn't seem to be much in an off season for Quidditch. For me, so I'm <laughs> well, taking my lazy week, eating all the junk food I haven't been able to eat all summer, and uh, enjoying that. Yeah, um, hashtag fat for Quidditch. Is that is that what that refers oh, yeah. to? <laughs> yeah, because first you got to get fat for Quidditch, and then you can get hashtag fit for Quidditch. Oh, okay. Once you've, uh, got it. Yeah. <laughs> once you've built up that thick layer of fat, <laughs> like like a bear hibernating to the winter almost. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, so this is my. My two or three week winter uh, between MLQ and USQ. Winter is here. Oh man, yeah, I didn't do I didn't do MLQ as you know. So um, I uh, so I've been just getting in shape for my own purposes. But um, man, I got I got a lot to do. But uh, we're not here to talk about me. Maybe a little bit. Mostly talk about you. And so uh, as uh, as listeners hopefully are aware now, I like to ask a few questions of all of my new guests to help uh, give. Um, gives the listener a little bit of an insight into um, my guest's uh, history and character and also kind of get to know a little bit about the Kurdish community, a little history and fun story. So um, my first question for you, Josh, uh, and this is these are personal questions, so there's no right or wrong answer as far as we know. Um, what, <laughs> what, is, oh what is a moment of personal triumph for you in Quidditch? Yeah, I think um, I always kind of go back to um, my first Quidditch win. Mm -hmm. um, so the first team I ever played with was Tulane Quidditch, um, and I ended up, I, I founded that team. And so we kind of came in as fresh as fresh could be. Oh, oh, oh. Um, I had not played Quidditch at that point. Um, nobody on the team had played more than you know two or three months of Quidditch at that point. Uh, in that we had one player who had played uh, the summer beforehand, and that was about oh, it. Oh boy! Um, that... And so we had, yeah, we had a rough first season. For, for um, the listeners who don't know, that's a recipe for going zero and nine in in your first year. Yeah, <laughs> that I think so. Our first, at one point, we were zero and maybe twenty three. Oh boy, stubborn. Um, yeah, so we. We lost basically every game we played um, for the first good half of that season. Oh, man. Um, and then March 
March of that season. So we started in October and we're going through. And so it took us till March to win our first game. Oh, man. Um, and we partially due to us learning kind of what we were doing and not just messing around and throwing balls around and getting a rough feel for the sport, uh, partially also due to it being a tournament <laughs> Uh, that was definitely had a lower average caliber of team. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, it was our first win, our first official win against uh, the University of South Alabama, oh. who um, immediately disbanded oh, no. basically after that season. <laughs> um, oh. So we, yeah, we were kind of the, the last team to ever play them, and uh, that was our first win, oh. so kind of the birth of Tulane Quidditch and unfortunately the death of Southern oh. Alabama Quidditch. R.I.P. That's too bad because I know Alabama does, I think they're trying to bring Quidditch back to Georgia and Alabama, but there isn't really any any big programs there right now. So listeners in Alabama and Georgia, you know, look up Quidditch. There's, I think they're starting teams there now, but you know, you're going to get it on the ground floor of it. And there may be yeah, a lot Atlanta's... of Owen, Owen 4 appearances at tournaments in the first, <laughs> first few months. But uh, they build character. Oh yes, so. absolutely. Yeah, no, uh, Spartans weren't zero and nine before we won a game, <laughs> and that was because we had some Lone Star Mercs on our team that helped out. So, <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember that first season was just kind of like a long slog for me, even as captain. You know, I oh, yeah. wanted to win, but I also wanted to keep people on the team, and I knew that. Uh, <laughs> you know, con- losing every game we played wasn't uh, great PR for us. So we <laughs> luckily had enough players who stuck with it long enough to get good uh, and that's good. Uh, get us that. Yeah. And, yeah. Yep. Well, that's uh, well. You should be proud. I'm sure you are. Uh, Tulane is doing well now. It seems so. That's uh, it's exciting. Um, all right. So <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, they're they're fun to look at. They're fun to watch. Great. So fun to be and now an alumni of that program and root for them, you know, without it's, having to. It's always, it's always your yeah, your your alma mater always holds a special place in your heart. Yeah, Certainly. I remember when I was on Cavalry and we played UT and and beat them in the finals of Wolfpack, Wolfpack Classic a couple years ago and 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 a number of the Cavalry leadership they all had these somber looks on their faces and it took me a moment to realize they were all UT grads and they had. They had just defeated their own alma mater, and it was bittersweet for them. It was, uh, mm. it was, it was interesting. It was, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know that feeling because Quidditch didn't exist when I was in college, unfortunately. But oh well, because <laughs> I'm old. All right. So uh, next question for you, Josh. Uh, what is the most epic Quidditch moment you ever saw? You ever bore witness to that that you weren't playing in at the moment? You were not directly involved. Yeah, I think um, probably the the most epic live Quidditch moment I saw um, probably would have had to have been the World Cup 8 finals mm. um, of Lone Star versus University of Texas. Yeah. Um, I, that season, there was kind of, I think you saw a lot of big strategic shifts um, with the invention of slow balling and kind of this... Uh, new look at how teams treated leather control and how they uh, reacted to that differently or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those two teams were just both filled with incredibly talented players playing uh, what you could almost consider old-style Quidditch, um, maybe what I would call the beautiful game <laughs> where they were you know, basically just 
going back and forth, uh, you know, making great plays on both sides of the ball and kind of playing a knockdown drag out Quidditch match. It wasn't, uh, there wasn't all this, like we need to slow down and wait for the perfect opportunity. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we trust our athletes and we think they're good enough to make good plays. So we might not go, we might not wait three minutes for the perfect time to drive if we think we have a chance of, uh, scoring here and so it made for a great match wow, yeah um great snitch on pitch play great um uh just great game and it was basically in snitch range from top to bottom and a lot of people thought that Lo- that was lone stars a year mm-hmm. um they ended up losing by a snitch catch to ut austin but overall just epic game uh that i was lucky to be there uh and witness yeah yeah uh, that's uh that video the Billy Quatch highlight reel from that video is famous. It's I actually use that to show my students often um, when they ask what Quidditch oh, is. Oh, yeah, that it's about. That's probably one of the best Quidditch videos ever yes, made. So I still absolutely have shown many a willing and also <laughs> slightly unwilling uh, person. Yeah, they ask what the, how does the like snitch work? You just skip ahead to minute three and just like that's the <laughs> snitch because that was Stu Driftlot's coming out party, if I recall, snitching the finals. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the first kind of big national exposure that he got, and mm-hmm. he would ultimately go on to play for Team USA this past year. And, That's right. Yeah. And, so. and now on the and on Boston QC Boston and the Boston Knight Riders now after he graduated from Boise State, if I recall. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's uh that's a that's a good answer man that that game i'm I'm sad I wasn't really involved in Quidditch that much yet. I didn't see it because that's a uh, uh, you know that yeah it's and I, I love how you describe the beautiful game where maybe not as calculated maybe trying to overwhelm your opponent with your own athleticism maybe a little bit of that still um right and yeah and uh and i have to say because uh just just a, just a brief tangent on that i saw texas state this last usq season they played in their southwest regional championship and in the uh the USQ championship, national championship, and both of those games, Texas State impressed me so much that they adapted to the strategy of their opponents. Was like the, whatever their opponent tried to play, Texas State was said, "Well, okay, we'll play you that against you in that style." Because against Lone Star was kind of doing that that old school, beautiful game style. I'm gonna out out athlete you. That was their strategy. That Lone Star just tried. With with snitch on pitch because it was snitch on pitch snitch range game the lone star would just drive just drive drive just smash and cavalry when it got to snitch on pitch and it was snitch range cavalry did the the slow ball the cavalry ball the which yeah. is no longer going to really fly because they if, I didn't realize this until recently they added the only one reset to the USQ rulebook now um, which Correct. should be really yeah. hilarious um, and maybe bring us a little bit back more to that that you know daringness of daring your opponent to out out athlete you um but texas state played yeah. both of those now it's unfortunate kind of they lost both of those games but they were in both those games made and, and everyone who saw that knew that texas state had the chance to win those games and unfortunately gabe garces right. is a monster and you know <laughs> <laughs> probably the most unmatched uh, quidditch participant uh, in the sport right now oh absolutely yeah no question yeah all right okay so uh third question for you um this one's very open-ended who is someone in the quidditch community that uh, you look up to 
Yeah, so um, my my answer, kind of my first, uh, the person who first inspired me the most, um, would probably have to be Drew Wasikowski. Mm. Um, Drew Wasikowski was a player on um, kind of the classic Texas A&M, and so he played there from uh, to, through like 2014, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, and he, um, was, um, both just a fantastic athlete, um, and a fantastic sportsman, mm-hmm. which I think are two things that not only are important to be, but are, um, but boost each other, uh, in, uh, boost each other together, right? Mm-hmm. So when yeah. it's 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 great to be a great athlete, it's great to be a great sportsman, um, but when taken together, uh, he certainly brought those to the sum uh, to greater than the sum of their parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of was uh, that player who every year you could, you know, say, oh, this is his year, this is um, his year to win World Cup or win Nationals mm-hmm. this year. Yeah. Um, something like that, and unfortunately, every year he was on A and M, they came up short. Uh, were either you know somewhere high up in bracket uh, and had an unfortunate loss, wow. um, and then he played for Lone Star for several years and kind of fell into that Lone Star curse. Mm, yeah. Um, but I was fortunate a couple times, um, kind of more towards the end of his Quidditch career and more towards the beginning of my competitive Quidditch career, I was able to play on a couple fantasy teams with mm-hmm. him. Um, and uh, we were we won one of those uh, in no small part to him and his contribution and made the finals of the other. Oh, yeah. Um, and in my opinion, at the top of his game, probably was one of the best players out there um, and just most one of the most dominating presences on the pitch mm-hmm. uh, and just a great guy in general. <laughs> kind of hard not to look up to and you know, just, uh, be impressed by. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good answer. Was he on, I, I was he on the blue team, light blue team two years ago with you at Southwest fantasy blue quaffles? Was it? Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So that was the last <laughs> the one you guys Southwest won. fantasy before MLQ. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of the last one that really, uh, attracted a lot of players from the Southwest and West. So that was, mm-hmm. it was fun to be out there for that last big one. Yeah. I've, uh, uh, yeah, Southwest Fantasy used to be a huge, huge event, 16 teams and stuff like that. And this last year, this, this last year was almost a joke. It was only four teams. Um, but but I... I Cer- certainly, I think, still a fun tournament. But yeah, yeah as, as teams have shifted more towards MLQ and having real priorities that they can't get injured for during the summer, they, uh, yeah. unfortunately, less people have found it worth playing mm-hmm. Uh, fantasy in the but it seems like also that, uh, and this maybe is my perception, that the quality of Quidditch elsewhere is improving. Like there's enough people to have Midwest fantasy, Northwest fan, Northeast fantasy, like Vancouver fantasy. Like there's more Quidditch tournaments now in the summer than there were before, you know. So I don't know if the, if that's played. It's been suggested that that's played a role too. I I, I couldn't say. Every every you know. 10 people making the same decision or making it for 10 different reasons. So it's hard to say, but right. Yeah. It could right. be a lot. We'll have to do a separate podcast on that on the, what is Quidditch <laughs> dying podcast? <laughs> uh, or just even fantasy Quidditch, I think yeah. could make for a great, uh, yeah. 
podcast. Episode. Definitely, we're gonna gonna yeah. gonna yeah. So if you're listening to this right now and you have opinions, I would love to hear them and share them with the world. All right, so um, the uh, reason that I've brought Josh on the podcast, so Josh has many things to contribute, and I hope to we'll get to hear from him again on other subjects, but. Uh, Josh is uh, a, uh, a referee, a head referee for Quidditch. He's uh, he's a very good. In fact, if I recall correctly, you were recognized as referee of the month this year. Were you not? At one point. Uh, yes, in in January. Okay. I was. Yeah. Oh, that was a long time ago. Barely this year, but <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, My memory. And safe. also one of the finalists in the Quidditch Post's uh, referee of the year um, voting thing, um, which I don't I, I don't know if that's closed yet, but. Uh, uh, and I haven't checked to see if you're winning that or not, but I hope you are because, uh, you know, I guess that's biased. Uh, so much of the Quidditch Post voting seems to be biased, but, you know, whatever. Uh, I can only do so much. Um, but uh, Josh has a lot of uh, insight into refereeing, and I feel that, that refereeing Quidditch is very important part for making the game work, as as anyone would who follows sports regularly. The, the problem with refs, you know, is no one notices you're doing you notice notices when you do things right usually it's only when things go wrong that you get attention so it's hard to get attention for doing things right as a ref um right though I, you know as a ref i i consider attention to be a bad thing so anytime i don't get attention during the game i uh i take it as a win in my book. yeah i can definitely understand that um so i'm gonna uh, open my first question um well, it's a little more nuanced than I'll originally phrase it, but I'm going to start out by phrasing this question that I get it once in a while. You probably get it too, and most people who are introducing the game to new people, people say, Quidditch has refs? There's referees? <laughs> <laughs> so so t- yeah. <laughs> tell us a little bit about the different referee, a full referee crew for Quidditch. So yeah, so not only does Quidditch have referees, Quidditch has... Um, an insane amount of Quidditch, of referees. Um, Quidditch, a, an official Quidditch match will have more referees than any other game I've ever refereed. Mm-hmm. Um, Quidditch has, obviously, the head referee. They're the person most people are going to notice. They're out there blowing their whistle, giving cards for penalties, um, basically enforcing the game and making sure that things run smoothly um, while watching all the main fouls that occur on the quaffle mm-hmm. um but then apart from that head referee there are usually at least two if not more assistant referees whose job it is to watch bludger play mm-hmm. um you know they're for people completely new to quidditch there are three bludgers on the pitch um and assistant referee's job is to make basically make sure that beaters uh the players who interact with those bludgers um and those bludgers are being used legally and enforced fouls in that end of the game Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a snitch referee who um, comes into play, sometimes may serve as an assistant referee until the snitch comes on the pitch. Um, but the snitch referee basically watches um, calls that happen near the snitch. Um, so there's a very strict set of rules for how players are allowed to interact with the snitch. And if any of those are broken, those are observed by the snitch referee. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, most of the main roles, um, and then easier, or I say easier, but um, still difficult, um, but roles that require less certification um, are goal judges who basically stand at either end of the pitch and just uh, help the head referee determine um, whether the quaffle went through the goal, 
um, or did not go through the goal on those plays that have iffy angles, mm-hmm. yeah. um, of which there are many, especially uh, if the sun is at a weird angle behind the goal and you happen to you know, catch the sun in your eyes right as the ball goes through the goal, it can sometimes be hard to tell. Yeah. Um, and then there are also scorekeeper and timekeepers, so somebody keeping score, making sure that cards are noted down for official records making sure that goals are being noted down um and then somebody keeping time uh because quidditch is a very uh importantly timed game there are certain things that happen at certain times uh, most notably the snitch being released but also players being released for penalties and the timekeeper is in charge of that mm-hmm. responsibility so that's kind of a long-winded explanation but there are a long list of referee duties in Quidditch that are fulfilled by a long list of referees. So mm-hmm. it can get complicated, um, but uh, yeah, each referee position has their role, uh, and each are important uh, for the match to continue smoothly. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a that's a really good rundown right there. One, th- a couple want to jump in and mention a couple things for for those who are not yet very familiar with Quidditch. You might be remember that the snitch. Well, is that technically the snitch is the is the the sock with the with the tennis ball in it, and the the person who has it velcroed to their shorts is technically the snitch runner, um, and so when we're tra- referring to the snitch ref, the snitch ref watches the snitch runner and and sees evaluates whether a seeker pulling the snitch from the snitch runner is is a valid pull. Uh, common common reasons not to count it as the 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 seeker was impeding the movement of the snitch who was grabbing them or or holding them in some way that was preventing them from moving freely um uh, but also things like being beat before the pull and and other <laughs> and making sure that the beater who beat the seeker before the seeker pulled was beat in fact um Shout out to oh, World Team USA 2016. Um. <laughs> yeah, I actually, um, it was kind of ironic. That was a, an infamous call in World Cup 16 where um, it, I believe the beater who made a beat on Margot um, was beat by the Team USA beater, so Margot may or may not have caught the snitch. Oh. Um, it was a very bang-bang play, which unfortunately, um, it's hard to be a ref in the moment yeah. and seeing something happen once and basically having to make very important decisions based on that. Right. Um, I've definitely been in that position, um, but that is it. that play was ironic because that was not the first time um, that had happened to Margot Ailman, the seeker of that game. Oh, yeah. um, I actually, um, at World Cup 8, was refing his team um, against NYU, yeah. and NYU's beater got beat just as he made a beat on Margot oh, yeah. as Margot um, caught the snitch. Um, luckily, my AR crew from RIT that game uh, was able to see that call and make that call correctly. Oh, wow. Um, shout out to, I believe, Matthew Niederberger might have been oh, hey. the snitch ref of that Cool. Um, if my memory serves me correctly, um, but I know NYU was very upset about that, understandably so, because when you're in that position, it looks like your beater uh, beat the seeker, but yeah. they were in fact beat just before it, uh, which invalidated uh, the beat they made. Yeah. So um, the World Cup, very tense. Result. Yeah, the World Cup six, uh, 2016 that I was thinking of. I don't remember if Margo was beat 
I thought his call, pull was called off for charging. It was the the, the game winning pull by this Australian seeker who I can't remember his name unfortunately. I'm sorry, but um, I think it was Max Havlin had had was fisting to pick up uh, was fisting claiming immunity to pick up the bludger, threw it took two steps. And through, let go of the bludger. And there's actually a, an animated GIF running around, which is a slow motion replay of it. Um, and it does show that within, but it's literally milliseconds, and they wouldn't have been able to adjudicate it correctly in real time without a lot of luck. But yeah, um, it does show that the that um, Max Havlin was not beat before letting go of the bludger, and he his beat on the seeker was therefore good and and. What a mess, you know. That's uh, that. Uh, and, and yeah, yeah, that's that's 2016. Uh, team USA is. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of people, maybe on that team. I don't know for a fact, but also people who watched, uh, salty about that. But you know, you don't 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 be in snitch range against <laughs> Australia if if you don't want things to go that way. You know, it's it's uh it's tough once it's snitch snitch on pitch snitch range. <laughs> Um, yeah, true. Anything can happen. Yeah, at that point, uh, that, at point, that point just, just goes up in the air. Absolutely. What makes the game so fun <laughs> to watch, honestly? But uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, one other thing I wanted to, to to point out before I move on to my next question on those refs, um, the this the uh, timekeeper and scorekeeper often are almost always just volunteers from other teams who are just need a break for their legs. They don't want to move around. They're just going to help out by sitting in and taking you know the time and, and keeping score but those are also referees as well are they not are they not a- also able to inform the head ref for penalties yes they are referees they are um very important referees they can give penalties uh, most notably um our seeker false start penalties mm-hmm. if uh, a seeker leaves the box early um then and it's seen by the timekeeper they can indeed uh give that seeker a, a false start penalty. That actually happened to um, QC Boston seeker in the uh, World Cup not or the Quidditch Cup nine finals. Oh wow. Uh, against um, their seeker against uh, Rochester United? Yes, oh, man. correct. Uh, their seeker, I believe, um, either during regulation time or overtime, because mm-hmm. that game went to overtime, yeah. left the box um, just a step early and was given a card for mm-hmm. it. So that was one of the few I can remember, um, but obviously a big game and a big moment, and so good to have a scorekeeper there who uh, the literal national was able to see it and and confident enough to to tell the head ref uh, to call mm-hmm. it because uh, oftentimes, as you said, they're kind of um, you know random volunteers from a team who uh, may have been required to submit them, but uh, they might not necessarily be confident in themselves Mm -hmm. you know or or you know they might say well i'm not really a ref of this game uh i'm just kind of here helping out where i can but uh but yeah scorekeeper and timekeeper are indeed time yeah uh are indeed referees who can make calls uh yeah and the goal refs also are are referees they're they're not they're often i think looked down upon perhaps that you don't need to be certified to do it but a good goal uh, goal ref should also be able to adjudicate things like um, tagging up before subbing out, so you following substitution protocol correctly. Uh, I think is is often cited as something else they're supposed to watch for. Right, and I I, I think uh, in my opinion, goal ref is one of the most underutilized positions um, in Quidditch uh, because it's 
not a certified position. It's often not taken seriously, both by head refs, but also the volunteers who are put there or the people who assign volunteers for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, as you were saying, there's a lot they can do. Um, actually, just this past weekend, I was um, helping referee at the MLQ championships, and there were a lot of really good referees there. So sometimes for games, it would end up with a, a head ref or someone with head ref certification being put on a goal yeah. ref position. And so that was actually fun to do because I um, hadn't served in that position <laughs> for a very long time um, be, and uh, kind of got to play around with it. So I, I ended up coming up when the ball wasn't on my side of the pitch and helping act as almost another beater ref, watching mm-hmm. Ludger play from behind and making sure things were going on. Um, and actually... Um, Logan Zahn from Texas A&M made some good calls in the beater game when he was goal oh, great! Uh, doing some work. Yeah. Um, was actually able to give a card as a goal oh, ref. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So the, I think the moral of the story is no ref position is unimportant, um, but it's as important as you choose to make it. Mm. Um, so uh, certainly the positions that are paid get given a little more deference, but um, it's not, you know, payment does not determine you know the the quality of the ref in that position that's only yeah the work and, and uh um an effort you put into it yeah i was uh, just reminded that um uh, robert vanderberry one of our victoria victoria quidditch players actually went up and volunteered at mlq championships and he goal refed um one of the last i think it was the last indianapolis versus los angeles game and he was goal refing. He saw a beat on a player right as right as they were about to dunk while they were wrapped, and he called off the goal for for beat first. And the ref listened to him. And then the 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 L.A. player who I don't know who it was, and I wouldn't name them if they they if I did, but was not happy and expressed that um, unhappiness. And but just then the snitch was pulled, and so that rendered that moot. But. Uh, um, but yeah, the, the goal ref is definitely should be playing an important role in the game. And, uh, it's, it's, it's up to you, each individual goal ref though, to, to step up and, and do that, assert that, I guess I should say. Right. Isn't this, is the snitch also, the snitch is also a referee as well. Are they considered, I mean, they're really considered an athlete, but they can also, uh, provide adjudication. So. So yes, yes and no. The snitch is considered an official of the game, not necessarily a referee by by strict semantics mm-hmm. um, of the word, but they are an official, and that means they are involved in calls that are made. Um, a lot of times, there are a lot of calls that um, basically require the snitch's input because there are a lot of calls such as impeding the snitch or mm-hmm. um, contact rules on the snitch that will disallow a catch. Yeah. Um, but because the snitch uh, referee only has their eyes, whereas the snitch has their whole body to kind of tell you, oh, were you? did you feel impediment on your right hip? I saw his arm go out there and it looked close, but yeah. um, if it just grazed you, obviously that wouldn't be a foul. Yeah. Um, but if it you know, reached out and held you there, that, that would uh, disallow a snitch mm-hmm. catch. So you, the snitch is generally not your first go-to official, but they are an official for the game. Yeah. Um, and they do serve a very important third-party role just in the fact of being the snitch runner. Um, yeah. And so their their voice is certainly needed on many of many calls throughout the yeah. game. Yeah. I, uh, 
uh, I snitched at, at TSL one, the Texas seed league this summer. And, uh, and uh, like snitching against San Marcos Storm, Steve Gorlinski, who is a well-known seeker, was seeking against me, and he was grabbing me, and pretty pretty blatantly. There's actually pictures, photographic evidence of it. But uh, so I actually called off uh, two of the catches just based on being held literally by the arm, and, and not not to impugn you know Steve's honor or ability as a player. I just for whatever reason that day he was just grab all up in my all up in my upper arm business, but. Uh, the hit, the San Marcos bench was really upset with me, and that wasn't very fun. But uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, you literally yeah. grabbed my arm. I'm sorry, as a snitch, I have to report that that was not a good pull. Um, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, that's uh, that's that's I guess being any referee, you have to deal with the bench being unhappy with you. Is would then would you say that's the case? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that that can definitely be one of the hardest parts, especially in a sport like Quidditch where um, the community is in general very tight-knit mm-hmm. right yeah. and so even if you're not on the team with a player you may have you know you may know them from other events or you may have played on other fantasy teams or potentially major like Quidditch or USQ season teams with yeah. them and so there is a lot of interconnectivity in the league and every ref call is going to have a team that likes it and a team that doesn't like it, you know, yeah. no matter how obvious or not the call was, um, you know, certainly teams won't give you issue with very obvious calls, but you know, those 50, 50 calls have to go one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're the team who, uh, you know, is, is either, you know, being benefited by the call that there was a grab and that's no good or the team who says, Oh, that wasn't a grab, you know. That you know, it was very borderline. <laughs> Other snitches wouldn't call that a grab, so and so. But uh, yeah, any call is going to have uh, is going to be that way by nature. And so, <laughs> you're, as I say, you know, everybody goes to a Quidditch tournament to make friends, uh, except referees who, by nature, lose friends. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and that's oh, mostly that a joke. You know, I think no, that's not a joke at all. The Quidditch community <laughs> are mature enough to, mm. even if they let that go to their head on the pitch, will not judge you in the future based on that. But um, <laughs> certainly, um, any ref who's worth their salt and has been around for a while has certainly, certainly knows the uh, the the feel of another team being uh, upset at them for one reason or another. <laughs> Oh man, yes, that's absolutely that's absolutely true. I um I want to go to cycle back a little bit. I I kind of want to just slide that thought in there, but I want to cycle back to uh, something we were talking about just previously: the volunteer refs, who which I guess I would say the uncertified ref positions, meaning head um uh, goal ref, timekeeper, scorekeeper. Um, those those positions are usually just plucked at random from a crowd, and little to no consideration is given to their um general quidditch knowledge because it's more of look just just put your hands up like this if it goes through the hoop like here just write down the score or whatever so um what would you say to someone who is is stepping into that position for the first time how how can how can they help make the game better like how how do those people who are who things are being put on them that they may not even be aware of like what what would you would you say to them Right. Um, and I think um, the biggest thing you can do is ask questions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, don't 
um, assume anything and also don't let people um, assume things, especially if it really is your first or second time doing something. Um, while the, um, you know, a position like scorekeeper or um, timekeeper is um, relatively easy, you know, there's not a lot you need to do. There are nuances to mm -hmm. it, right? And so if you're unsure about anything, make sure you're asking questions. Uh, make sure, um, I think a lot of head referees will assume, um, okay, you're in the scorekeeper position, uh, or you're in the timekeeper position, somebody has explained to you how to do this in the past, that's why you're here. Um, so I'm only gonna give you like the spark notes of what I need from you or something like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Um, but you know, for things like penalties, uh, what cards allow a person to go back in on a goal? Um, what cards, oh, yeah. uh, uh, like a red, a red card, card, you know, if, if somebody gets a red card, how long are they in the box? Um, well, they're not. You know, <laughs> if, if the other team scores. Yeah, <laughs> someone um, else's. You know, a person on a red card isn't let back in yeah. uh, as if they were on a yellow card or a blue card. Um, and the head referee should know that, the head referee does know that. Um, but at the same time, it's important that the scorekeeper knows mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And if they aren't aware of that, that can be something that they end up getting yelled at yeah. for, for really a role that they had no training for, yeah. right? You know, a team might say, oh, you know, new freshman who's been to one Quidditch tournament, um, timekeeper is easy, go do that. Oh. Um, and the head referee may look at them and say, you're my timekeeper, you know what's going on. Mm. Uh, but <laughs> at no point may this person have actually learned that rule. Yeah. Um, and that's unfortunate, but it's, you know, I think part of that is just due to the fact that those positions aren't given a large amount of deference mm. um, because they're viewed as easy. Um, and they are certainly, they're not, I wouldn't say they're difficult, but they are important, yeah. right? And so good... Uh, um, good training and good knowledge uh, needs to be imparted on those, uh, on whoever's in those positions beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, just being, um, being, being open to asking questions. I absolutely agree. And now that you say that, that's almost intuitively obvious. Just the first thing you should say, if you're going to send a new volunteer out, just, you know, say, you know, give them the rundown, but also just make it clear to them they should ask questions. That's definitely true. Um, because they and they should not view asking questions as as a failing on their part rather that hurting the game is going to be a failing on their part if they don't ask questions right exactly yeah, yeah it's uh, much much more important that you take a little extra time and make sure you know exactly what's going on uh, versus uh, run into that issue midway through a important game yeah like I actually um, had made some some how to ref cards and had them laminated for Victoria Quidditch's or Victoria College's intramural Quidditch program, which didn't really end up happening the way it was supposed to. But um, but actually, now I'm thinking about it. I never ended up uploading them to howtoplayquidditch.org because the times were different because we weren't going to play 18-minute sets. Um, but I need to go back now that I'm saying this. So hopefully by the time you're hearing this podcast, if you go to howtoplayquidditch.org and you hunt around in the positions of volunteering section, you'll see some handy little cards you can print out. They're half-page, so you can cut them in half, and they have the basic duties of the goal ref uh, timekeeper and scorekeeper on them because uh, and and if I recall correctly I put oh there was one other thing that I forgot to mention earlier with the timekeeper and scorekeeper um, 
everyone's everyone's favorite penalty to forget uh if you uh are released from penalty and you're on broom and you impact play that's another card because when you're in the penalty yes, box yeah. you're supposed to be off broom yeah <laughs> right Awkward. that's that's a new rule as of i think two years ago so by this point i think most players have gotten used to it um but yeah, you certainly still do see that from time to time, and so it's important to remind both players, but also the referees in charge of enforcing. Yeah, that. it's it's it's. I think yeah, you're just like you said, it is pretty new. But actually, that's about well, three years ago is when I started playing. I always thought that was that made way too much sense to not have done earlier, because people would literally come out of the box and be right next to a bludger, and it's like, well, that that sucks. <laughs> right. Why are you? Why yep. do you get to be over there? So yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness! All right. Um, so uh, this this next question uh, is is sneakily very self serving. Um, uh, this, this is actually the whole reason I ha I, I did all of this with Josh is specifically for this next question. Um, I'm actually planning on going down to come participate this year in in Copa del Sur, which is the South American Quidditch tournament, the national international one. And uh, I'll be, oh, cool. yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I'm going to actually go to Snitch and to Ref. And word on the street is that um, if you've been playing for several years, you're a better ref than most of the people in South America who haven't been playing for several years. Um, so I'm going to go. And so my question for you, Josh, is if someone were to go and head ref uh, a bunch of games uh, when they haven't done it a lot before, what is what are the, the keys to doing that well? What's the keys to doing a good job of being a head ref or even a lead assistant ref who is doesn't quite have the same level of authority but still has the same weight on their shoulders of managing the game? Right. Um, I think in my um, experience and from my um, just uh, observation of a lot of Quidditch games, one of the most important things you can have um, as a Quidditch referee is just um, a very serious atmosphere when you approach uh, the pitch and a very um, authoritative atmosphere, mm. right? Um, so, so being very professional um, and being very um, to the point with your calls, right? Mm. So not being equivocating on calls, not uh, saying, well, it may have been this, it may have been that, um, but really, you know, making your calls and sticking to them. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people hear that advice and, and think, okay, I need to be uh, the dictator on the pitch, <laughs> right? I need to be, you know, in charge. And if anybody ever talks back to me, it's, I'm going to send them straight to the box. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, nobody can question my authority. Um, and it doesn't necessarily need to be that, right? I think a good yeah. referee will be in charge and authoritative on the pitch, but we'll still be able to accept um, differing opinions from other captains or even accept dissent from players, you know, because a player who commits a foul will never say, will, will very rarely say, oh, yes, I did that foul. Oh, well, no. I'm, I'm going to the I've box. Thank you for the card, sir. I've <laughs> seen it. <laughs> it's, it happens, but it's, it's rare, yeah, right? That's you know? true. So you're always going to get talk back. Um, and I think uh, being respectful with players and not, you know, giving them a little flexibility to do that is fine, but as soon as it becomes disrespectful to you, obviously, that's where you'd penalize mm. it. Um, but not, you know, being authoritative, but also giving a lot of respect 
to everybody on the pitch, I believe, is kind of the best way to hold that. Um, I think uh, uh, my um, counterintuitive knowledge is that as a head ref, knowledge of the rules is not the most important thing you can bring to that pitch. Uh I think bringing that level of command, of confidence, um, of professionalism is the most important thing an HR can have. Mm -hmm. I think um, it's certainly, I would say, almost more important for assistant refs to make sure they know the rules, to make sure they're calling things correct, because there are a lot of rules that do come up in the assistant ref game. Um, But as a head ref, you're not just in charge of enforcing the rules, but you're in charge of um, making sure the game flows smoothly and making sure um, the vehicle that is the game doesn't completely come to a screeching halt uh, <laughs> yes. and kind of throw everybody off. Because even if uh, you take 10 minutes and make the correct call, you know, that, that's oh, going to have yeah. a significant effect on the game. That's true. Right? Yeah. So you want to make sure that calls are correct, but, um, yeah. and, you know, you're, you're giving respect to players, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're taking five minutes to explain to every player on the pitch exactly what the call was, you know, be professional, be confident, uh, make the calls you believe you saw, uh, and make them to the best of your knowledge, Mm. but don't, uh, necessarily get caught up in your head of, Oh, is that the correct call? Oh, I need to make this call a hundred percent correctly. Um, you know, as long as you're in charge, um, and, confident with yourself I think that's going to reflect on the mm-hmm. pitch and uh, lead to a more successful game yeah would you have any advice for someone who uh, is head refing especially if it's their first time but really in general if they miss a call because I know I know a couple calls I would say there's one that I know I missed like I was looking at it and the words just didn't come out of my mouth right and I was just like the end of that like would you have any advice for that person what they can do in the next five seconds, five minutes after the game? Is there any particular thing you'd recommend to them? Right. Um, I think most importantly in that game um, is to not dwell on it, mm-hmm. right? I think one of the worst things that can happen is if a ref realizes they miss a call, um, we'll say, it would be to say like, oh, I missed that call. Yeah. That was my mistake. I'm going to make it up to that team later in the game. Um, oh, no. You should that doesn't never, sound good. You should never try and ref with that. <laughs> Don't do that. You should never be like, oh, I upset them with a bad oh, call. No. <laughs> uh, but now I need to get them back on my side, right? That's <laughs> maybe the worst attitude you can have. Okay, good. Um, All right, good. I'm glad I shouldn't do that. <laughs> um, so I, I, I tend to ref with a very... Um, with almost a very, um, like, <laughs> almost lack of short-term memory when I'm on the pitch. Uh-huh. Um, I tend to approach every play um, as if it's a new play, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so um, that means obviously not trying to make up to a team if there was a play that's missed, but also not even really thinking about those plays mm-hmm. um, in that same game, yeah. right? So I think it's very important because there is so many things going on in any sport when you're roughing, but certainly in Quidditch, um, that you want to be fully present in your calls. And if you're thinking about calls you made earlier in that game, um, you're never going to be present. Even if you're not thinking, oh, I need to make that up to them. If you are saying, oh, shoot, I messed that up, it it is going to distract you from roughing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think 
you know, and it certainly is hard, especially as a new ref when, um, you know, mistakes can seem more catastrophic, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, to, to dwell on that, but it's, it's not just going to affect that play. If you dwell on it, it's going to affect the calls you make for the rest of the game. Um, I think the more you ref, the more you realize, um, those kinds of things happen. Um, <laughs> I, I still, you know, I try and minimize them, but I, I think at every tournament I go to, um, if I'm refing, you know, five or more games, there is going to be one yeah. call potentially in those games that, um, is incorrect. Yeah. Uh, for one reason or another, um, hard hitting, hard hitting, hard hitting ambush journalism. Did, what calls did you miss at, at MLQ <laughs> championships last week? Answer the question. Yeah. Um, there was one and it was an AR call. Um, I advised to the head ref, um, when, uh, there was a bench foul from league city. Their bench had a speaking captain who was a player. Uh Um, I told the speaking captain, um, that he could choose any player to sub out, um, which is true when the speaking captain gets a, gets a card, um, and they're not on the field. If it is a non-playing speaking captain, they're allowed to choose any player. Um, but I forgot that they had a speaking, a, a playing speaking captain. And so officially they had to choose a player of, um, of the same position to serve the foul. Um, I mean, it's a very arcane rule, right? I don't think anybody on the pitch or even on the ref crew caught that. And so it didn't end up, it wasn't a, a catastrophic mistake by any means, but it was, I was thinking after the game and I was like, Oh shoot, I forgot about that. (laughs) You know, minor add on to, uh, the rules regarding cards of speaking captains in the moment. Yeah. Um, so I did, you know, I, I missed it. Um, uh, luckily in the game was too ignorant to even remember <laughs> that I missed it, but, um, you know, uh, you're, you're gonna, you know, the rule book is 200 some odd pages. You might not remember every rule, especially as a new referee. Um, you are gonna miss things on that level. You might miss things, uh, simply cause you're looking at the wrong thing. Right. Yeah. But, uh, overall your job is to make the game run smoothly and it's not at, you know 10 minutes into the game um what happened in those first 10 minutes doesn't really matter right your job is to make the next 10 minutes of the game run smoothly mm-hmm. um so that's so, good, that's good. i know. like that whether whether or not uh the correct person serves the foul for hank doogie uh aside you know <laughs> uh, mistakes get made um Look, I would say I would advise any person who wants to ref um, as a new ref, don't be hesitant to come up to um, tournament directors, to come up to people doing scheduling. Um, if you are put on a game between two high-level teams, right, that yeah. might be, um, say you're refing a, a very tense uh, Texas A&M or versus oh University of Texas. Don't game, remind me, right? I had to AR one of those games once, and that was the uh, worst, that was the worst 15 minutes of my life or 20 minutes of my life <laughs> yeah and and it can be rough right the, the more intense the game is um the more stressful it is going to be to ref and yeah. the more people are going to um uh critique and overanalyze every call you make yeah. um i don't want to scare anybody you know that it's certainly not done <laughs> too extremely but i think unless well the game will There's not the game will 
the game will, will will cease to work the way we want it to if people don't step up and take on that risk. And if you're saying to yourself, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to step up and take that risk. Well, someone else has to do it or else this game will fail. This game right. needs refs, yeah. you know. It need, and, 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 yeah. and so what I'm saying is if you're a, if you're a new ref, right, if this yeah. is – if you're very new to this, I, I would say don't be afraid to – ask hey this is going to be a really intense game um, I'm not sure if I feel comfortable um, with my experience you know I wouldn't want to mess up a really important call in this game because mm. the honest the the way you become a good ref is mm. by being a bad ref for a very long time right <laughs> you know I, I spent most Great. of my first season being a bad AR right oh, man. and yeah finally went from being a bad AR to being a good AR Mm -hmm. and from being a good AR to an okay head ref um, and (laughs) ultimately you know spend a lot of time being an okay head ref uh, before I was what I'd consider you know to be a a good head ref a a head ref I'd want to ref my games Um, but it's just it's honestly it's just like medicine where um, you know new surgeons have to kind of the only way to learn is on the job Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And can study uh, the rule book or textbooks or anything like that, but and those will help. But you are going to make mistakes and bad things are going to happen. So making sure one that you're with somebody um, or that there's somebody you can go to if you have questions and somebody who's there uh, to help out and hopefully not uh, hopefully minimize um, some of the intensity that's going on, mm-hmm. um, but also. You know, it's fine to say, hey, I'm a bad AR. Um, I'm trying to improve, but, um, you know, I, I'd like some experience on a couple of lower level games before I start refing, you know, tournament semifinals, yeah. um, which is usually, usually conducive. But I would say um, don't treat a game, don't treat a low intensity game like a low intensity yeah. game, be- mm-hmm. at, like an unimportant game, because yeah. then you won't gain as much from it. Right. Um, Certainly use those games, treat them uh, seriously. And that's kind of the way to improve is refing games like that. The more games like that you'll get used to, the kind of the easier it'll come. Uh, And you will be able to start refing those higher level games. Um, And, you know, I think anybody's lying if they say they don't get stressed out when they're refing a very important match. Oh, Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Experience will be your best friend uh, when it comes to refing games like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the uh, <laughs> um, one who, here's a here's a quick aside for you. Uh, which is easier to ref on a new ref? Because I know which one's easier to snitch, but which one's easier to ref for a new ref? Uh, a a a team a, a two kind of newer, lower level, less athletic teams playing each other, or a total mismatch where it's like one team is phenomenally much better than the other. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I would say probably the total mismatch, um, for a couple reasons. Um, <clears throat> the first is two new teams um, probably will have a will have less of an perfect understanding for the rules, mm-hmm. right? So I'm guessing if there are two teams both in the first half of their first season. Um, they're going to have a lot of new players, and not only that, but a lot—not many mentors who can teach those players the rules. Yeah. Um, 
I know for a fact, um, for Tulane's first season, I certainly did not know more rules than the average player on our team. And so our, <laughs> our rules tutors were more or less whatever kind referee would come up to us after a game and say, like, hey, you guys aren't allowed to do this or, you know, would penalize us mid-game for it. Yeah. Um, you know, I tried to stay ahead of stuff, but um, a lot of times we were being taught rules by referees, you know, not by any mentors <laughs> on the team. Yeah. Um, so it, it, you certainly can turn into kind of the rules tutor, especially if teams keep uh, breaking rules that they might not be used to. Yeah. Um, and then also between two new teams, there there's a good chance that that could be a very high stakes game, yeah, right? True. You know, for, for those teams, if if you're a new team um, and you've come into the season just getting blown out by experienced teams, um, which I can speak to uh, with good perspective, you you more or less don't care about the games you play versus you know Texas State or the yeah. you know QC Boston's of the game yeah. but you really compare you really care about the game you play against your cross state rival yeah, right or, or yeah i know, guess that's know, true you really don't so you we're don't. gonna really care about this game because that's the one game we can win this turn. yeah you really don't want to blow a call in a game where two teams are 0 and 4 and they're just they can't wait to get that first their that first and last win of the day that's definitely yeah. true yeah, that game to them will be as their as Super Bowl. important as uh, as a semifinal game you know, to a to a team. Yeah, that's so. that's funny. That's true. All right. Well, we've got just a little more time here, so I want to pick your brains very briefly um, for those 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 intrepid listeners who have made it this far. What could you? What would you say if you had if you had the bullhorn for a couple minutes to just speak to anyone who's at attending a tournament? How can people in general make a ref's life easier? What what can they do if you could get your wish your wish list? Yeah, so I so I think one of the biggest issues with refereeing Quidditch is um, how referees do get treated. Um, you know, I am certainly not the uh, <laughs> the the perfect angel of a referee. You know, when I am playing, I I certainly do yell at refs. I certainly do, <laughs> uh, you know, bring. Uh, my displeasure with a call, <laughs> I make that clear to a ref if yeah. uh, if I disagree with it. Um, mm-hmm. Me a little more so because I am a speaking captain um, and try and <laughs> uh, speak to the refs to get calls <laughs> to go my team's way. Um, but I think there's two things within that that are very important. Um, the first is that every time you are speaking to a ref, it's respectful, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, that, that should go without saying, um, not just from a Quidditch perspective, but a sports perspective and honestly a life perspective, that you should just be uh, being respectful to people. But obviously, um, when tensions rise, with realize, one, as a player, that you're, if you are out there, especially if you're playing, your blood is going to be pumping harder mm-hmm. and you are going to be more emotional and you are going to be more rash. Um, yeah. So realizing that before you open your mouth to talk to a referee rather than after. Um, uh, I think there's there's this conception um, in Quidditch that uh, referees are all amateurs, which for the most part, you know, nobody's full time job is to be a full to be a professional Quidditch ref um, or anything like that. So. <laughs> 
because of that notion that, oh, these refs are amateurs, there is kind of the people can take on the perspective that, oh, I <laughs> that ref is just as um, valid of making a call as I am, you know, the player who the call is oh, happening goodness. to. <laughs> um, but that is certainly not the case. A lot of refs out here are putting in good work, and a lot of refs um, care a lot about what they're doing. Um, and so whether or not you agree with them, making sure that you're being respectful to them, um, and not only after the game, but realizing in the game you are going to be more emotional. And this is, that's honestly probably what I struggle most with is being in a call, you know, having 17 minutes into a heart pumping, adrenaline filled game. Um, Any word that comes out of my mouth, whether it's, you know, (laughs) hey, how's it going? Or I disagree with that call is probably going to be yelled. (laughs) (laughs) High volume. Um, And so making sure that you're aware of that, even uh, if you are if you don't mean to be accosting the ref, uh, that everything you say might sound more like that. Yeah. Um, and then also, um, you know, I think every ref is, should be, um, aware that they are going to be disagreed with and yelled at in a game. And obviously keeping that respectful is important. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think every ref is kind of prepared for that. Um, I think the one thing that Quidditch can be, especially bad with sometimes certainly not the majority of the time but it can always become an issue um is once that once those issues with a ref from one game leave the pitch um Mm -hmm. and become a thing um down the road right once they come into social media Uh. or you have people you know almost publicly taking down refs because of calls they Mm -hmm. made uh, yeah. in a game that happened, you know, hours ago or days ago or weeks ago, you yeah. know, those are really the circumstances that really discourage refs from refing. you know, mm-hmm. it, yeah. every ref needs to be prepared for a little bit of talk back in the game. Um, that's just the nature of any competitive sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know many referees in Quidditch have actually been discouraged and stopped refereeing. Good referees who, you know, were very valuable to the sport mm. uh, have gotten a lot of talk back outside of games, right? Or, um, yeah. you know, either to their face or even worse on social media uh, um, uh, being critiqued like that. Um, and that's unacceptable. That's something where, you know, you have time to stop, think, and consider what you're going to be posting online. Um, and that's where it goes from being just heat of the moment to, um, a very thought out, um, takedown post. Uh, and that's something that more than anything is, is, uh, can only be a negative, uh, for the state of refereeing in Quidditch. Um, it certainly can be hard if you think a ref honestly was bad in a game and you don't think they should be refing. There's always, um, every league I know of has really good resources for being able to review a ref um, that are taken very seriously. You know, Mm -hmm. as soon as you take that review uh, and write down that review, um, that is sent to somebody who can reflect on it. Um, Don't expect that you wrote wrote one review and now this person will never head ref again. Um, But (laughs) if something is seen to be a repeated issue, that'll certainly be brought up um, and and reflected to them and if if you know like hey you made this mistake in the in the game 
it's always fine to come up to a ref and say, like, hey, like, this call in that game, like, it's really not, you know, that I think you called that incorrectly. Here's what I would have mm-hmm. done. Yeah. Or, um, or saying, like, you know, I disagree with this call and here's why. Um, certainly the, the refrain of respect certainly falls into that. You don't want to come up to a ref and say like, Hey ref, you suck. You may, you know, every call you made that game was awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's going to be just as negative. Um, but it's certainly fine to come up to a ref after a game. If you think, if you have things you want to discuss. Um, and I know a lot of refs, a lot of good refs say, if you disagree with something in the game, please come and talk to me after the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you're having that chat of, hey, I disagree with this call, uh, and it takes two or three minutes for them to explain it to you, um, some refs try and explain that in the game. I don't think that's a very effective use of their time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I think explaining those calls after the game is something very valuable um, mm-hmm. and is honestly good for building player-ref rapport. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I... Uh... Uh, I actually was a ARing early in my Quidditch career and got yelled at and got discouraged. And at one one point, I swore I would never ref again. I would my sole contribution would be through snitching, and which of course lessens the amount of yelling I get, but it did not eliminate it. Obviously, um, but at some point, I recognized that, and I think you mentioned it. Some great refs have have quit and we need more people to step up and replace them and we need people who can can advocate for refs who who can let people know that their behavior towards the ref is not acceptable because i my day job as a college professor uh i'm very very good at managing the classroom uh and uh and uh to to try and bring that onto the quidditch pitch which is an area where i'm not as comfortable but i'm gaining comfort is uh so the goal of mine to become a good ref i don't think i'll ever become world class but it's worth a try and definitely at the very least i can contribute to keep these games running on time to be have people who can ref and uh um and and to let people know that like you know because actually after after um the game where i snitched and the whole bench is yelling at me and later on i had people coming up leaders from the the San Marcos uh, group just say come up to me and say hey you know don't pay attention to that ignore it and I took offense to that I said well how how come I have to change how come I have to change to ignore their unacceptable behavior shouldn't they change to not behave unacceptably you know the the to keep refs from quitting we don't need tougher skinned refs although I guess we do but we really just need people to be respectful <laughs> to the refs um, ultimately yeah I think it, it certainly is a a two dimension, a two directional thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. Where, absolutely. Um, players, players will always need to be asking themselves, "How can I make sure that I'm treating this ref as well as I can?" Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, referees understanding that on the pitch they will have to deal with a little bit of disagreement. Yeah, absolutely. A little bit of people yelling. <laughs> yeah. It, potentially, and I think this is endemic to Quidditch. A player yelling doesn't always mean that they are yelling at you yes, right? that's it, true. it might mean they're upset at a call whether or not they agree with the call and mm-hmm. whether or not um yeah you know they they think it's the correct call um yeah. and i know certainly as a speaking captain there are calls that i have agreed with that i have still argued um 
just because I think it was, you know, a 50-50 call, and I think any referee should be able to call a 50-50 call mm -hmm. however they best see fit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, <laughs> a speaking captain is always going to come up and say, hey, you know, can that go the way of my team? <laughs> you know, and, and that's that's natural, that's human nature. Yeah. Um, so just being prepared to deal with that as a ref. Yeah. And it, um, but it, I certainly agree with you that players do need to change their mentalities, especially if it's coming after a game, if players are saying, you know, hey, how dare you do this? You know, once the game is over, um, every every call, everything in that game is more or less set in stone. Yeah. Um, if things need to be appealed, they can be appealed. Um, if reviews need to be written, they can be written. Yeah. Um, but certainly aggressive and um, antagonistic posts or... or <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, Just don't need to... Don't be, go on uh, quit secrets, folks. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and you're absolutely right. Sorry, what? Said topic for another cause. Oh, podcast. God. That'll be the things to, to avoid on and the Quidditch Community podcast. Um, <laughs> right. the, uh, the, you're, you're very right. Adrenaline's a hell of a drug because I think I was still on adrenaline high from snitching when I had these people trying to tell me to not pay attention to the bench because I know they're right. I do need to not pay attention because at, at some point I yelled and I wasn't upset yelling, but I was just yelled out. I'm trying to be professional here when the bench is yelling at me. And so, and yeah, I mean, if I was in a cooler state of mind, I wouldn't need to have bothered to explain myself that I was trying to be professional, but adrenaline's a hell of a drug folks, you know, right. <laughs> it really yeah. is. So we all have to recognize that our behavior doesn't always match our character and we have to be at peace with that or else we'll, we'll never grow as humans. So, but more on that on the yep. philosophy podcast coming out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think that's. Uh, I think we've we've uh, taken quite a lot of time. I really appreciate you donating your time, Josh, for the uh, to the How to Play Quidditch podcast. Yeah, not a problem. I uh, I love what you're doing here with the podcast, and I hope it uh, goes far and wide. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what more you do with it. Thank you. I uh, appreciate it, and we might have you on again. You know, there's plenty of other things I know you have to share, and uh, uh, I can't wait to hear all of them. Uh, any other self-serving questions I have that will help me do better in Chile? <laughs> as, as my friends or honestly anybody who's ever mentioned Quidditch to me uh, will know, there's a lot I have to say on the topic. So <laughs> if, uh, well, I'd be happy to come back at any time. Great. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I want to thank but the Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. And I want to thank the listeners for uh, making it all the way through this uh, podcast. Uh, really, I really hope you've enjoyed it. Feel free to send me feedback uh, through the contact form on howtoplayquidditch.org or at um, the Twitter, howtoplayquid, um, which it really bothers me that there was not, it couldn't fit how to play Quidditch on the character limit still. Um, <laughs> well, I'll live. Um, so, signing off for myself and for Joshua Mansfield, uh, I'm Alejandro Enriquez. Uh, thanks for listening. Pretty good. So I, I just could not think of the word for like combining two things and then becoming bigger and just started on that. But <laughs> combining overall, two things and becoming bigger, merging. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or just like being greater than the some of their parts. But um, yeah.